the moral outrage, the horror of what happened here was that Adam and Eve desired, desired, desired this fruit more than God. That's the essence of evil. They delighted more in what the fruit could be for them than what God could be for them. Eating was not the essence of evil because before they ate, they had already lost their taste for God. I want to speak to you about the ultimate essence of evil. Unless you think that talking about the ultimate essence of evil would be abstract or confusing or remote or theoretical, I mean your evil, the ones you do every day, the ones I do every day. I mean the things that we think and the attitudes that we have and the deeds that we do that we call evil, wrong, bad, real, tangible, globally pervasive evil. So our aim is to find out what the ultimate essence of evil is. And by essence, I mean to distinguish between the root of evil and the fruit of evil. I want to know what the spring is. What's it? What's down there? What's bringing it all up? What makes evil evil at the bottom? And what I mean by ultimate, ultimate essence is that we get to the bottom. That is, there isn't anything behind it. There isn't anything under it. When you see the ultimate essence of evil, then you know what it is that makes evil evil all the time. It's the ultimate essence of everything we call evil. So that's the goal. That's where we're going. I'm going to tell you right up front why. Why in the world would you address that? I know where I am. Passion 2017. And I know who leads it, and I know what it's about. For 20 years, one of the greatest privileges of my life. I know the heart, I think I know the heart of Louis Giglio and his team and what they pray for and long for and work for in every student generation, namely, O Lord, your name and your renown are the desire of our souls. The all-satisfying majesty of God in Christ blazing into the world through your passion for the unsurpassed beauty and worth of Jesus Christ. That's what this event is about. So I'm going to talk about the ultimate essence of evil because until you know, see, and hate in your own heart and in the world, until you see and hate the ultimate essence of evil in you, you will inevitably dumb down the majesty of God. 
and you will inevitably minimize and diminish the triumph of Christ on the cross and in the resurrection. And thirdly, if you don't see and hate the ultimate essence of evil in your own heart and in the world, you will gut the glory of the Christian life that pleases God. And passion is about the majesty of God, the triumph of Christ, and the glory of human life. And therefore, you need to know and hate the ultimate essence of evil. That's where we're going. Here's how we're going to do it. I have three passages of Scripture, and when I'm done showing the ultimate essence of evil from three passages of Scripture, we'll step back and apply that to those three things, the majesty of God, the triumph of Christ, and the glory of your life, if you're in. Passage number one, Jeremiah chapter two, verses 10 to 13, what was he shocked at? Why should the universe be appalled? Let's read it. Cross to the coasts of Cyprus and see, or send to Kedar and examine with care. See if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods even though they are no gods, but my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So God says the entire universe, the heavens, the galaxies, should be in shock, should be in a state of shock. My people have changed, this is verse 11, my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. My people have exchanged the wonder of my glory for worthlessness. They've traded in the mansion in the Alps for a cardboard shack by the garbage dump. And then in verse 13, that shock of evil is broken out into two pieces. Look at them. Verse 13, my people have committed two evils. One, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. And they keep trying to dig and hew out cisterns that can hold no water. So the glory that was traded away in verse 11 is called in verse 13, me, the fountain of living waters. They have forsaken me, 
the fountain of living water. So the first great universe-shaking evil is that Israel has lost a taste for God. I don't want it. And the second one in verse 13 is this. They have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So not only have they turned away from the fountain of life and joy in God, but all the cisterns that they're making couldn't hold any water anyway. They're broken. So no fountain for Sukkim, no cistern. They're gonna die of thirst. The money cistern is broken. The sex cistern is broken. The family cistern is broken. No matter how precious it is, it's broken. It can't hold it. The beauty and brawn cistern is broken. The success cistern is broken. The political cistern is broken. None of them can hold the water of life, the water of joy. So, question, what is the essence of evil in Jeremiah 2, 11 to 13? Putting the two halves of verse 13 together, I'd say it like this. The essence of evil is to lose a taste for God. Or the flip side of the coin, to prefer anything more than God is the essence of all your evil. It's where it comes from. It's what defines it as evil. The broken cisterns that we think are evil are simply results. They're fruit. They're not the essence. The essence is I don't get any pleasure from God. So I want other things to drink. Thank you very much. That's the essence of evil. I don't enjoy God anymore or ever did. I just want a cistern that can hold what I want it to hold. That's text number one. Here's number two. Genesis chapter three. I'm trying to test myself now. So I'm that's an inference I just drew out of that text. You test whether you think that's there or not. We're going to go back and test it with the original sin, the first sin that human beings ever committed. What was the essence of the first sin that human beings ever committed? Because that's a big one, because it all comes to you, and you walked in with it. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Here we go. Satan said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not 
surely die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So, now watch this. So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes. It was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she gave some to her husband who was with her. He's complicit from the beginning. This is why Paul can say what he says in a minute. And they ate. He ate. Now we know something of the magnitude of this evil, this moment in history. Because in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Paul says, sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to billions and billions and billions of people over the thousands of years of world history. Because all sinned. You were there. And you are there. The magnitude of this evil is that every human being is infected and ruined by the first sin. It has become ours. You came into the world totally captive to this sin. What's the essence of it? What's the ultimate essence of the first original world-infecting sin. Satan said in verse 4 and 5, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So what's the essence of that temptation? We don't have the essence of evil yet. What's the essence of the temptation? The essence of the temptation is God is withholding from you something really exciting. That's the essence of the original humanity ruining temptation. It is the essence of every temptation. God is going to withhold from you something really good, really satisfying, now, what's the essence of the sin that follows? You can see it yourself in verse 6. So, watch the dynamic of her and Adam's sin. So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, really, and a delight to the eyes. And the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit, ate. She gave some to her husband, he ate. Let me say those three things again. Watch what's happening in the human heart that gives rise to an act. This is really good food. 
It's delicious and it's nourishing. I can see it. And he won't let me have it. He won't let me have it. This is beautiful. It's a delight to my eyes. And God wants to keep me from it. What's, what's going on here? This is wickedness. This is the origin of all wickedness in the world. He won't let me have it. And it's good and it's satisfying. And really desirable to make me wise. So delicious, delightful, desirable, denied. And they ate. And what did that mean? It meant we will not be denied what we desire more than God. So what was the essence of evil as it began in the human race? What was the essence of the fall of humanity? Was it the eating of the forbidden fruit? No. <laughs> what is eating? Like muscles in the jaw, muscles in the throat, teeth crunching on an object of reality. That's not the essence of anything. <laughs> muscles aren't the essence of anything. Human actions with arms and legs aren't the essence of anything. Kissing is good. It is not the essence of love. There is another kind. Swallowing forbidden fruit is bad. But it's not the essence of what happened here. You can see that. The moral outrage, the horror of what happened here was that Adam and Eve desired, desired, desired this fruit more than God. That's the essence of evil. They delighted more in what the fruit could be for them than what God could be for them. Eating was not the essence of evil because before they ate, they had already lost their taste for God. And that's the ultimate outrage in the universe, according to Jeremiah. They preferred something else, and that is the ultimate essence of evil. Now, somebody might say, I said to myself, wait a minute, isn't rebellion against God's authority deeper and more primal a problem than the preference of fruit over God? I, I've been taught to, to disobeyed, period. No. Disobedience to the command of God is not more basic, not more fundamental, not more ultimate 
than what they desired above God. And here's why I stress it. As long as you see commandment keeping as the essence of good and commandment breaking as the essence of evil, you will never know why you do what you do. You will never know who you are. You will never see the greatness of the majesty of God. You'll never see the fullness of the triumph of Christ. You'll never know what the glory of the Christian life is all about if you have simply reduced evil to commandment breaking and good to commandment keeping. You didn't even, it's not the essence. It's all result, it's all overflow, it's all fruit from this foul fountain of preferring anything to God. Let's think of it this way. I want you to get this. Obedience to God's commandments, delight in God's character. You got those two? Obedience to God's commandments and delight in God, God's character. Which of these is more essential? Which of these is at the root of the other? God turned the delight in his character into a commandment. Psalm 37, four. Delight yourself in the Lord. So now you got a commandment to feel this. God doesn't take neutral things or bad things and make them good by turning them into commandments. <laughs> by his very nature and his supreme beauty and his supreme worth, it is right to delight in him above all things, and that's why it is a commandment. Jesus said the same thing. He who loves mother or father more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. It's a command. You must delight in God. You must delight in Jesus. Enjoy Jesus. Be satisfied in Jesus more than you delight in anything. That's a command. Now, I ask you, did God turn the evil of preferring other things to himself. Did he, t did he turn that evil into evil by making it a commandment? No, it was evil. Before there was any commandment anywhere in the universe of any kind, it was evil to prefer anything to God. Just happens now to be in the Bible for our help that it's forbidden. Paul put it like this. Romans chapter three, verse 20. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So, the law doesn't make sin, sin. It's there in you, in me, and it's in our, our desires. 
I want other things more than God. I enjoy other people more than God. That's the ultimate essence of evil. It gives rise to everything. Evil. One more text to test whether we're on the right track. Romans chapter 3 and Romans chapter 1. Very familiar verse in Romans 3, 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What does that mean? Well, let's just take the most obvious. Paul defines sin or evil not in relationship to people, but in relationship to God, right? That just stands on the face of it. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Now, sin hurts people. It destroys people. It's destroying the world. That's not the essence of sin. Far worse and far deeper is that there is a preference for us and what we want more than we want God. Now, is that a right interpretation of chapter 3, verse 23 of Romans? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What does fall short mean? I think the best explanation of Romans 3.23 is Romans 1.23. It's easy to remember. 1.23 defines 3.23. So I want to read verses 21 to 23 of Romans 1. You watch for the explanation. Although they knew God, this is talking about everybody everywhere in the world, although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and, here it comes, exchange. This should remind you of Jeremiah 13, 11, or chapter 2, verse 11. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, creeping things. So the darkness of evil is seen here in the exchange. So I've got the glory of God as my treasure, possibly, and I contemplate its worth, beauty, value, satisfying qualities, and I say, no, trade it, exchange it for what he's made, anything, anything he made, anything good, anything evil, just long as not him. When chapter 3, verse 23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, I think it means fall short of treasuring the glory of God according to its worth, because that's what 123 says we do. So you are all offered, you come into a world radiant with the glory of God. The heavens are telling the glory of God. 
You come into church services that lift up Jesus Christ as supremely glorious. And the ultimate essence of evil is that you taste it and go out preferring other things. That's the ultimate essence of evil. So here's my conclusion. The ultimate essence of sin in Romans 1 is the failure to treasure the glory of God above everything. The essence of evil in Jeremiah 2 is the failure to find the fountain of living water supremely satisfying. The ultimate essence of evil in the Garden of Eden was not eating the fruit. They had gone down before that. It's the loss of taste for God as the all-supplying life and joy and the preference for what this tree can give me. I want that more than I want him. That's the ultimate essence of evil, period, unless I don't understand the Bible at all. You have to come to terms right now with whether you agree with those three expositions, because this is huge. This is absolutely huge. So here we go with our closing three applications. I argued, I said the reason I'm talking about this at passion is because until you see and hate that, that the ultimate essence of evil in your life is preferring anything to God until you see that and get up in the morning hating it, go to bed hating it. You, you will dumb down the majesty of God, you will diminish the triumph of Christ, and you will gut the Christian life of its glory. So let's just take those one at a time and say, why? Why? Why, why does that work? Why does failing to see and hate the essence of evil result in not magnifying God, number one. Because the greatness of God's majesty is magnified, not in hollow efforts to keep commandments. Every religion does that. That doesn't make God look great, makes you look moral. Rather, the greatness of God's majesty is exalted when you are satisfied in Him more than anything, especially when you're suffering. So my point here is you'll never feel this. You will never devote your life to magnifying God by being satisfied in God until you see that the ultimate essence of evil is the failure to be satisfied in God. <laughs> I just wonder, how many of you try to be good without, without any attention to this? Like you're fighting the battle at the level of deeds all the time. Well, I'm not supposed to do that, or I should be doing that, or more of that, or less of that. Like, Satan is laughing up his sleeve that you are 
fighting on a front that can never succeed. The battle is here, really deep here. What do you love? What do you cherish? What are you satisfied by? Are you fighting that battle? That's the battle that gives rise then to all that's good and kills all that's evil. So the reason at passion, I'm talking about the ultimate essence of evil is because passion is about the majesty of God and you will never make much of the majesty of God until you know and hate that the ultimate essence of evil is preferring anything to God. What do I mean by, if you don't see and hate the ultimate essence of evil as preferring anything above God, if you don't see and hate that, you will gut the Christian life of its glory. Everything that makes the Christian life beautiful to God, pleasing to God, truly beautiful in the world. One of the things I love about passion is celebrates a majestic, holy, glorious, just, beautiful God and His Son by the Spirit. And then it works its way out in the lyrics of the songs and in various projects to a world that is blind to that and you become the sight. Works it out. So that's what I'm talking about. Why is it that you cannot be that kind of Christian until you see and hate the glory or the ultimate essence of evil. There is enormous pressure on you today, all of us, but you are a media-saturated generation. There's immediate, there's enormous pressure on you to think of the good. Just check and see if this is true. To think of good, good, opposite of evil, think of good in ways that have nothing to do with God. Just think now, okay, I call that good, I call that good, I call that good, and God never even in your mind when you say it, and so does the world. So you can strip God out, strip the Son of God out, strip a heart out that is dependent on God and delighting in God, just strip all that out and still have good. Listen to what Paul said in Romans 14, 23, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. That's devastating for everybody in the world. Whatever action, whatever attitude does not proceed from faith is sin. Here's the way Hebrews put it, chapter 11, verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please God. So I'm, on this last point, asking, okay, what's the glory of the Christian life? And Paul in Hebrews, Paul and the writer to the Hebrews are saying, your life is just sin and your life is just displeasing to God. 
unless there's faith, that is, unless there's the embrace of God is supremely valuable. Don't reduce faith to affirmations of sentences that Satan himself knows are true. Faith is the reception and the embrace of all that God is for us in Jesus with a restful contentment and joy that He is it. And Paul says, and Hebrews says, where that is not happening, life is evil. Sin. That's as radical as you can get. Most of you probably don't believe that. Without faith, you cannot please God. What was the ultimate essence of the Pharisees? Sin. They devoured widows' houses. They despised sinners. They distorted the law. They exploited the poor. They felt no mercy. They neglected justice. They murdered God's Son. Is that the essence of their evil? No. The essence of their evil is that they loved money. It says so in Luke 16, 14. And secondly, they loved the praise of man. And out of that cesspool of preferring the praise of man and the, what money can buy, preferring all that to the God of grace, everything evil came out of their lives, which we hate. But now, will we, as I end this, will we go down? Will you go down in your heart? Will you get at the root of what the ultimate essence of your evil is? So I'm going to close with a summary. The ultimate essence of evil is the loss of taste for God as our all-satisfying life and joy. Or flip the coin over, the ultimate essence of evil is a preference for other things, other people, anything created more than God. That's the ultimate essence of evil biblically. So I'm pleading with you to set your face like flint against that ultimate essence of evil. I want you to know and hate that about yourself and about the world, about me. And I want you, and I'm asking you, I'm pleading with you, I'm going to pray for you, that you'll spend the rest of your life growing in the blood-bought ecstasy of treasuring God above all things. So hate the essence of evil in your heart and give yourself to going to Christ and embracing, embracing the alternative to the ultimate essence of evil, namely I will find my treasure in Christ above all things. And if you do that, then the majesty of God will be magnified in your joy in God. And if you do that, the, the real ultimate triumph of Christ in His death and resurrection 
will not be diminished but made much of as it comes to fulfillment in your joy in God's presence. And your life, your human life, will shine in the world with a thousand truly good deeds.